Good to see each one of you. My name is Nathan. I'm the Senior Adults Ministry Director here at Cyprus, and uh, we are just so glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, if you are a first-time visitor to Cyprus Bible Church, we just want to take a moment and extend a special welcome to you. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, you'll notice that there is a QR code on the back of the pew in front of you, and we invite you to take out your phone sometime during the service, scan that QR code, uh, give us your name, uh, contact information. And we would love to follow up with you, answer any questions you have about Cypress Bible Church, invite you to come back. And uh, please don't be shy about that. Yes, it is okay to use your phone in church. I give you permission. Now, don't make a phone call or anything, but you can use your phone to do that. Uh, but seriously, we are so glad you're here. In fact, there are two things we would love for you to know. The first one is no matter where you are spiritually, you are welcome here at Cypress Bible Church. Uh, to put it another way, Cypress Bible Church is a safe place to explore your faith and to uh, connect relationally with other people, ask questions, and, um, and, and explore your faith. So again, we hope you feel very welcome. And then secondly, we want you to know that there are four things that we talk about here at Cypress all the time, uh, four different areas of focus or emphasis for us, and they are gather, grow, go, and serve. Gather, grow, go, and serve. Gather is what we're doing this morning. We gather together in worship. Uh, grow speaks to our grow groups, uh, we call them. That's where you connect relationally with a small group of people and you grow together. Uh, go speaks to our mission uh, to the world, our, our commandment from the Lord Jesus to go in locally and to go globally and share the good news of the gospel. And then serve is all about our gifts that God has given us that we use to serve him and to serve others. So wherever you are, whether you're new to Cypress Bible Church or you're a member who has been here for years and years, uh, if you're ready to take the next step in any one of those four areas, learn more about them or take the next step, we invite you to stop by one of the desks in the commons area. There are a desk for each one of those four areas, and uh, that's where you can take the next step and learn more about those four areas. Well, we have two announcements for you this morning. Uh, the first is a reminder that today uh, marks the conclusion of the two-week feedback period regarding the elders' unanimous recommendation that Caleb Dragna uh, become our next director of student ministries. Uh, if you have any feedback, you're invited to direct your feedback to any one of the elders to help facilitate that. Uh, they're uh, at the welcome desk. They can give you a list of the elders' names and phone numbers. Uh, there's also copies of Caleb's resume there. So again, if you have any feedback on that, we invite you to do that today and direct that feedback to one of the elders. And then secondly, we are so excited to tell you that our annual GO conference is right around the corner. It starts one week from tomorrow on February the 21st. It's an entire week. Uh, our mission, uh, our, our, our uh, theme for that week is made to multiply. You'll hear a lot more about that. And uh, throughout the week, you'll have opportunities to discover how you can encourage and support the spread of the gospel together with our CBC ministries. Just to give, give you a little bit more detail what that uh, week looks like, Monday through Thursday, we will have Zoom calls, in uh, Zoom meetings in both the morning and the evening where you can um, pray with our missionaries on uh, any one or all of those uh, Zoom prayer meetings. Uh, and then on Saturday, we will have an all-day conference here at the church. Uh, lunch will be part of that. And then on Sunday, this is Sunday, the 27th, we'll conclude the conference with another lunch right here as a church-wide lunch right after the second service. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to meet our missionaries there. They'll be part of that as well. And so we encourage you to put that on your calendar. 
be here for the uh, for all of those events. Um, there was actually an email that went out on Thursday that you should have received this week. We sent that out to pretty much everyone we had an email address for. Uh, there's a registration link in that email. Registration is now open. And we'll also be giving out information about that conference next Sunday. When you come in to worship, we'll be handing out a detailed schedule of all that's going on. So we're excited about that. We hope you're involved. And again, you can also stop by the Go Desk in the Commons area to learn more about the, the missions conference. Well, with all that out of the way, let us take a moment and just pray together. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we prayed at the beginning, or we sang at the beginning of our service today, uh, there's nothing that our God can't do. And we declare that once again here in prayer, that there is nothing that you can't do. You are all powerful. You are all knowing, you are all wise. And we humble ourselves before you this morning. And we pray that you would open our minds this morning, open our hearts, open our eyes to see and hear what you would have us see and hear. Give us vision to see you as you truly are. Give us wisdom to know how to respond to that vision and give us courage to actually do it. Give us courage to love others the way you call us to love, to think the way you call us to think, and to be the people that you call us to be. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Church family, we're so glad that you have come to worship here today. And, you know, I've, I've just found so many wonderful things about this church that I love. But one of the things that has really been meaningful to me is that you elevate the Word of God. The Word of God is important in all parts of your life and in the church and how you uh, choose to live your life. And so as we do that, and even in our time of singing and worship, we wanna continue to elevate the word of God. And I wanna read this passage. It's right out of Isaiah 61. And if you remember this, this is actually uh, also shows up in the New Testament. And there's a time where Jesus is scheduled to read the daily reading of scripture in the synagogue in the temple. And he reads this passage, which is the telling of what he has come to do. And then he says, like today, this has been fulfilled in your presence. I, I wish I could have been there. What an incredible moment that was. But this is Jesus's mission. This is what he came to do for us. It says this, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. And I love the first part of that verse that Jesus came to heal and to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. We're gonna teach you a new song this morning. And the song speaks about the powerful name of Jesus and what he has come to do. And there's a line in this song that stands out to me. It says, I speak the name of Jesus over depression and all anxiety. And I was uh, asleep, pretty dead asleep on Friday night. I guess Friday morning. And uh, me and my wife were asleep, and then all of a sudden we hear this rumbling down the hallway, like somebody is bolting towards our door. And then they grab our door handle, and they fling it open, and I'm just like, 
you know, I'm a little disoriented. What is going on? And my six-year-old daughter comes running through the door, scared to death. And again, I don't know what's happening, but as soon as you open the door, it just frightened me so much. My arm just flew out like this to the side of the bed. And she came and ran and just fell into my arms. You know, and there are times when your kids come in, either you are a kid or you've had a kid, you know this experience. They come in and you're kind of like, okay, it's time to go back to bed. Let's just go ahead and make our way back to bed. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, but for some reason this morning, I was, praise the Lord, in a, in a good spot. <laughs> and she came in and I just, I just felt her shaking. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to hold her. I'm just going to say, hey, it's going to be okay. And we're just going to walk through this. Let's just be real quiet so we don't wake mom up. But we're going to be okay. And over about five or six minutes, she began to calm down and breathe a little slower. And then she started to fall asleep. And I thought, oh, good, we made it. We made it. But it really got me thinking about this moment in this song. It says, I speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. As I've gotten older, I keep thinking, you know what? I'm going to get over anxiety, man. It's going to be great. I'm just going to find a way to beat it, and it's going to be just always gone in my life. But I think what I've come to realize is as I've gotten older, I've just found more things to be anxious about. But Jesus says he wants to step in to those times of fear, those times of anxiety, and he wants to bring peace and rest. And it's a peace and a rest that the world can't explain. It's something that we cannot accomplish with man. It has to be accomplished by God. So we want to teach you this song. We're going to do it a little different this morning. We're going to sing the beginning of this song. And as you learn it, hey, this is a participation time, not a spectator time. But as soon as you learn it, you feel free to start singing along with us, to stand and to worship the Lord. But if you're not quite there yet, just take a time for the words to soak over you and to know what you're saying and the power behind this lyric. But this song is called, I Speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name. Break every stronghold, 
so grateful and we love you and we worship you with our spirits and in the truth of the word of God and it's in your name we pray amen you can be seated good morning so we are in week five of our six-week series the struggle is real where we talk about the tough questions that we navigate as believers, but instead of looking to answers from within, we look to answers through the text of the word of the Lord. And so this week is the fun subject of suffering. Why is God allowing suffering in my life? And because this is a question that has affected all of us, whether now or as sometimes before or will sometime in the future. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. These passages, in addition to what we will study in a little bit, all talk about having joy in the midst of suffering. To trust God, that he has a plan, that God will deliver the afflicted. And we know these words are true and that God is trustworthy. But on January 2nd, 2009, I got a call from my dad while I was watching the Utah-Alabama Sugar Bowl. Son, mommy's dying. What, what? Jonathan, mommy is dying. And you need to say whatever you want her to hear from you right now because mommy's dying. And as I heard my mom gasping for breath, I just started speaking and saying whatever came to my heart and mind. Mommy, I love you. 
Mommy, I love you so much. Thank you for loving me unconditionally, for adopting me to be your son when you married dad. Mommy, I love you, mom. My dad said, I love you, son. Mommy loves you too. We have to go. My mom died soon after we hung up. My mom, the faithful woman who played a role in my father coming to faith in the Lord by just asking him to come to church with her every week from their first week of marriage. My mom, the woman who married a man with two children and adopted the two of us to be her children instead of just stepchildren. My mom, who loved us all and gave up everything for us, was dead. Those verses that I read to you just, just a second ago meant nothing to me anymore at the moment. Because why would God allow my mother to get sick? Why would God allow the most faithful woman I had known in my life to become sick with MSA, which is multiple system atrophy, and it's basically if ALS and Parkinson's had a child, that's what it is. Four in 100,000 get this disease and die within six to 10 years of onset symptoms. I said, thank you, Lord, for letting my mom win the lottery of diseases where there is no chance of survival. And not only that, I get to watch her die. Thank you, God. I really appreciate it. Because I was so mad at God. I was furious with God. But even more so, I was confused and hurt by God. But I had no idea what God had in store for me because of what happened on January 2nd, 2009. So let me go to the Lord in prayer first. Father, we know that you are good. Your word tells us that you are good, and we know your word is truth and is incapable of being wrong. So we choose to recognize you for your goodness, even when life stinks. Father, I pray for myself, for everyone in this room, Lord, if we are enduring hardship and suffering right now, that we choose to remember the truth of your goodness. Father, the reminder of the truth of your goodness is given through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for comfort and peace over all of my church family this morning. As we study the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 11, that we will find hope in the midst of despair. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we'll spend this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And it opens with this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, before we dig into the text, though, I want to give you some background of what's going on here. Paul had written a letter to the church of Corinth, a first letter, 1 Corinthians. We studied this about a year ago. And it was a stern and harsh rebuke because that church was not acting like a church. They treated each other poorly, they acted in debauchery, and they didn't care, and Paul had to reprimand them for that. But 1 Corinthians did not fix the problem. Word got to Paul that even more bad things were going on, and he had to send a harsher letter along with Titus to the church to correct them, to tell them that they had to get their hearts and their minds right. And we know that this letter was lost, but we also know that this letter was written because if you look at the tone of 2 Corinthians, it is very different from that of 1 Corinthians. It is one of the most enduring and loving epistles that Paul wrote because he is real and raw with the church, letting them know his struggles, 
his discouragements and his encouragements in the midst of them. And he's letting them know that they would experience similar troubles because they were now living righteously for the Lord and that it is a privilege and a joy to do the work of the ministry of the Lord. He's saying to go 100% for God and reminds him that God uses imperfect and weak people to do great things for his own glory. And the church should always remember to live lives that reflect his holiness. And so when he writes Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is claiming apostolic authority immediately at the beginning of this letter because there were some in the church that challenged the legitimacy of his apostleship. And he wanted to remind them that he was one of 13 that were chosen by Jesus, ordained to carry out the work of the ministry. And this happened by the will of God. God dictated this. Paul's apostleship was something that Paul gave to him. He didn't say, I hope I become an apostle when I grow up. It was something that only God could do through his will. And he was with his brother Timothy, a young man that he had discipled deeply and intentionally. And the Corinthians knew who Timothy was. So mentioning Timothy in this letter would show the church that, hey, listen up. We got something really important to say to you in this letter. And this church at Corinth, not just the church at Corinth, the church of God at Corinth, writing this served as a reminder that the church belonged to God and not them. And it's a serious reminder to that church to remember they belong to God because then they must walk in light to be holy and blameless and pure. And not just the church of God at Corinth, but the saints of Achaia the holy, the dedicated ones. And this isn't a super fancy spiritual term that a man can give or man can earn. A saint is someone that believes in Jesus as Lord, someone that believes they are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so if you are saved and redeemed, you are a saint. This place, Achaia, is in the southern region of Greece, and Corinth is kind of in the center of it, or the capital of it. And Paul's intention for this letter wasn't just for the church at Corinth. He wanted all the surrounding churches to hear this message that he had, which begins with grace to you. This unmerited favor because of Jesus, because he took us from unacceptable to acceptable. This was the way that believers back then greeted one another. Instead of saying, hello, they would say grace to you. Grace to you, brother. Grace to you, sister. And because of grace to you, because of grace, you can have peace. Peace is the equivalent to the Hebrew word shalom, which means well-being. And peace is a result of grace, because there is no peace ever without grace. And this all comes from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul addresses Jesus as Lord, the Greek word is kyrios, which is the translation of Yahweh. So what he's saying here is, God is God. Jesus is God, so we worship Jesus as God. He's confirming the deity of Christ in this sentence while reminding them that grace is a gift from God as they receive salvation through Jesus, which allows them to have peace with God. So in verses 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul usually begins his letters with a thanksgiving or a prayer for the recipients, but here he doesn't. 
Instead, he begins with a benediction. He begins with a statement of praise, and he's drawing from what's called the 18 benedictions, which was something used at the beginning of a worship service in a synagogue. And so he's saying, hey, church, it's praise time. And he's saying, may God be blessed, the God who is the father of Jesus. Him saying this is to reveal to the worshipers a new way, one in which God, who sent his son Jesus into the world, Besides worshiping God for being God, we worship him for sending Jesus as the father of mercies. And how is he the father of mercies? Well, he is the source of all mercy because he is characterized by mercy. It is one of his attributes. Mercies is when God takes pity on us. He sees his people in need and he has compassion on them. Just as in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before, before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And not just as the father of mercies, as the God of all comfort. This is the key statement of everything that we are reading and studying today. Last week, we focused on God being the light through the words of the Apostle John as we struggle with sin. This week, we focus on God being the source of comfort as we deal with suffering. So this week, we have a new issue, but we have the same focal point, which is God. The God of all all consolation, as in Isaiah 49, 13, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Comfort is used 10 times in verses 3 to 7. This word, paraklesis, has so much more depth than our English definition of comfort, which is basically warm and fuzzy feelings, which is very temporal in nature. Sympathy and encouragement. Biblical comfort gives solace and confidence, and it strengthens the believer's heart. focuses on hope. It focuses on joy and not fear. Comfort is forward-looking. And the image that we should have of this word is when a person is standing alongside another to encourage and support a fellow friend. And Paul uses all comfort, given that only God is the true source of comfort for every situation of life. God gives comfort and not pain. But God allows pain in order to give us comfort. The Greek word for Holy Spirit, paraklesis, which is the comforter, because the Spirit guides us and gives us strength to live out the Christian life as God comforts us through him. And Paul gives a praise to our triune God in this blessing, to our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His mercies as God were demonstrated through his son Jesus in giving his life for us, and the giving of the Holy Spirit to his followers after Jesus ascended back to heaven in order to help us live. So Paul says that God is good. And why? Because God comforts us in all affliction. God meets us in our affliction. Comforts here is a present tense verb, which means he is constantly giving us comfort in our afflictions and trials. God never withholds comfort from us because that would go against his very nature. Then he wouldn't be God. Instead, no matter our affliction, God will always provide enough comfort for you to endure it. The Greek for affliction is thlipsis. It means to be weighed down in an exceeding manner, to be pressed and crushed, tribulations and trials. 
And these are the trials that all Christians experience, and it may be external factors such as disease, illness, persecution, etc. Or it can be internal factors like depression and mental illness. I do want to be clear about affliction and suffering in the context of this passage, though. Because God allows suffering for two purposes. One, for discipline. If someone is walking in darkness, God may use suffering to draw them back to himself, just as we see in the story of the prodigal son. But also for the purpose of sanctification. God allows suffering for the purpose of his followers to become more like Jesus in their faith journey. And that's what Paul is writing about here today. God gives us comfort so we can comfort others who are in affliction. God has purpose in our affliction, and it's one because it makes us more sympathetic to others. It allows us to take pity on others, such as in Isaiah 41. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. The purpose of experiencing pain and suffering is to comfort others. Tony Evans writes, the primary way that God comforts people is through people because God wants, not only wants, he demands us as believers to comfort other believers. So you have Christian sufferings plus God's comfort equals comfort for others. When we are comforted, it is not just for our own benefit. It should always be forward thinking and must also be for the benefit of others. Last week we talked about sins of omission. Things that we don't say, don't think, or don't do that would please God. When we see someone in distress and do not comfort, we are sinning against God. And I don't say this to be a Debbie Downer or why so serious, Chang. I say this because we have a duty to encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in their affliction immediately. We receive comfort to give comfort to all in need. We are not to be selective in who we give comfort to. Even if you don't like a person, guess what? You're still called to give them comfort. And not just with comfort. Paul circles back because that's how his brain works. We comfort them with the comfort that God gave us. He wants to use this as a reminder for the reader about God being the source and giver of all comp- uh, of comfort, that they can do nothing of themselves. Paul wants the readers then, he wants us here today to understand the importance that when you're in affliction, the first thing you do is you go to the Lord for comfort. The Lord first. You praise the Lord in your suffering. You worship the Lord as he comforts you. And then you give this comfort freely to others. Paul then talks about, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. This is the one that might make us cringe a little bit because it means we're going to suffer if we believe in Jesus as Lord. We don't like suffering, though. I don't like suffering. I don't know anyone that really does enjoy suffering. If you do, you're sick. But I will comfort you. But Paul saying grace and peace to you, and then, hey, by the way, suffering's coming. Wouldn't that be kind of a paradox? It doesn't make any sense. And he's saying, well, yes to both. And let me tell you why. It's a logical statement because if we share with Christ in his death and his resurrection, then we will share with him in his sufferings. Because for Christians, suffering identifies us being with Christ. His ministry work. Because suffering all has a story and a purpose, just like it did for the Apostle Paul. When Paul is writing here about believers sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, he's not talking about the atonement. But he is saying that the way Jesus suffered and the trials that he endured as the God-man living on this earth are ways that we will suffer as well. The suffering that Paul endured was of persecution for doing the Lord's will, for living righteously. 
But not all affliction is Christian persecution. Affliction is also just dealing with the junk of life, just like Jesus did living in this broken world. And how did Christ suffer in the 33 years on this earth in order to become the perfect sympathizer? He was born to an unwed mother. He was born into poverty. His life was threatened as a baby. He was from a place that was deemed despicable. His father died when he was young. He had the burden of supporting his mother, brothers, and sisters. He was tempted by Satan. He was hated by the religious. He was called insane and demon-possessed. There was opposition to him within his own family. He was rejected, hated, and slandered by the crowds. He was betrayed by a close friend. He was abandoned by his better friends. He was charged and tried while innocent, and he was executed. But Paul doesn't leave it just as suffering. Because as we share with Christ's sufferings, we will share abundantly with Christ's comfort. Because Jesus is our advocate, as given in 1 John 2.1, as we studied last week. Jesus is our helper, as given in Hebrews 2.18. Christ is the center of comfort for us, and he is the source of comfort for us. Christ, our high priest, knows our pain. We look in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in whom in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is nothing that we will experience that Jesus cannot understand. There is nothing that we will experience that Jesus cannot comfort. Like when he raised a widow's dead son and says, do not weep in Luke 7.13. Or when he comforts his disciples in John 16.33, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But Paul has more to write. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul's saying, if I am afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvations. Paul is saying, my sufferings have a purpose. All suffering has a purpose. And he says this to encourage the church in their sufferings, the saints of Achaia in their suffering, the saints of CBC in our suffering. Paul says not just his suffering, but again, all suffering has a purpose. And it's also for salvation. And in this text, when Paul says salvation, he's not talking about future deliverance, but he is addressing the spiritual health of the church, their sanctification. Suffering helps you become more like Jesus. In our sufferings, we can choose to trust in the Lord and his sovereignty with our heart, mind, and soul, and that teaches us to become more like Jesus. Paul again circles back to comfort. We are comforted. It is for your comfort. You think Paul wants the church to know the purpose of comfort from the Lord is to bless others with comfort? Because comfort from the Lord is a straight-line comforting. It comes from God to you, to you, to you, and to you. The expectation is that we give comfort not to receive it back because that's not grace. But if we are suffering in our discomfort, then we better hope brothers and sisters will jump in and comfort us. Sharing in hope and comfort 
is an expectation of a Christian. In the return of the king, Samwise is talking to Frodo. Frodo is in despair because he cannot manage the burden of carrying the ring anymore. So Sam starts to remind him of how great the things will be in the Shire when they get back. But Frodo, in his overwhelmedness, can't see it. He can't find hope because the burden is too much. And Samwise says, come, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go, and he'll go. Samwise is comforting and encouraging and strengthening Frodo with his words and actions. His desire is to comfort his friend. But it does make me think, because we can't help comfort one another if we do not know someone needs comfort. When we are suffering and we don't tell others, that is a sin. Because our pride is not allowing someone the gift of using the hurt they have experienced to help comfort you in the hurt you are experiencing now. It's saying, I can do it myself. So Paul says, though, to the church, you will experience comfort as you patiently endure in your sufferings. Unfortunately, there are unbiblical doctrines out there, and some say that if you're suffering, you are not in the will of God. Some of the Corinthian church were using that wrong doctrine against Paul, saying surely a man of God would not suffer like this. This false doctrine has led to more suffering for those who are told their faith is enough, that they don't pray correctly or pray with enough faith. Because an absence of suffering doesn't mean you have peace with the Lord. And a presence of affliction doesn't mean you have tension with God either. But you do it all with patient endurance. And these words are not natural to us. But patient endurance is one of the key terms in our Christian faith. Because as we patient endure, patiently endure, fellow brothers and sisters can see that. They can become energized by it and be stirred to action. But when an unbeliever sees us patiently endure, they can ask, how do you do so? And you can respond, Jesus. I can patiently endure in the name of Jesus. Because we live in a broken world with broken and hurt people. But God doesn't want us to remain in brokenness. God wants us to be restored to him, which is why he sent Jesus to live on this earth among us. And Jesus experienced everything we experienced. Happiness, laughter, friendship, and families. But the bad things as well as previously listed. So bad to the point of his death on the cross. But because he is Lord, he resurrected three days later. And God promises that whoever proclaims Christ as Lord has access to God and his presence forever. This doesn't mean that life will be easy. But it does mean that you will have someone that will be your advocate. Someone that will comfort you. Someone that will carry you. And so Paul writes that, I, I, I believe you will be unshaken in your faith as you suffer. I am so confident that you will grow in your faith because of your suffering. Because of your suffering, my suffering, it will result in comfort from God. And as we comfort one another, our fellowship, the koinonia, and the Holy Spirit unites us in all these things, even in suffering. So as we patiently endure, fellow brothers and sisters will come alongside you. Because suffering leads to church unity. We've had so many people in this church family endure difficult things, endure impossible things. And I have seen our church family rise to the occasion in comforting one another, in bearing one another's burdens, in building one another up. 
I can't help but think of the multiple meal trains that I've received emails for, been a part of. I can't help but think of after Harvey, when we all went to one another's houses and gutted houses and put sheetrock up and did whatever to serve families. I can think about Snowmageddon last winter, just a year ago, when we were helping fix pipes and all that stuff. The prayer chains, the letters, so many trials and afflictions that have affected our church, where our church rose to the occasion, not because we wanted to make a name for ourselves, but because we wanted to testify to the goodness of God as we comforted others with his comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul begins a new thought here. He's saying, I think you guys ought to know what's going on with me. Paul's being real and authentic with this church that caused him so much grief earlier. Authenticity is so important for us as followers of Jesus. For us as a church family, he's describing something that happened in Asia. And this can't be found in the biblical text. I know because I tried to dig around this week trying to find out what happened. I looked in commentaries and all sorts of resources and doesn't say. And I went on this huge rabbit trail while I was prepping for the sermon. That then The spirit said, stop, Chang. Because what happened to Paul in Asia is not what matters here. What matters is how he responded and recovered to his pain. What matters is how the church responded to his pain. Because so often we feel like we need to know every single detail before we can comfort someone. But the reality is that we just need to know how they're feeling in order to comfort them. Our extending comfort to someone cannot be dictated by how much we know of the situation. If someone is hurting, we comfort. That's our call. But this hurt that Paul was dealing with was a persecution that made him want to be, he was so burdened and in despair. Paul here is not glorifying suffering. He's not saying, woohoo, suffering, yeah, go get some. But he's not also saying, I'm suffering because I'm super spiritual and you're not. No, he's saying suffering is a part of the normal Christian life. It happens. And why? Because of the fall. Because God's original plan was not to have suffering be a part of anything. There was no suffering when things were perfect. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, suffering was one of the consequences of their actions. And this fun gift of suffering has been passed down to all of us to hear today and will be a part of our world until the day that Jesus returns. So we endure patiently until that day or until we are called home, whatever happens first. This persecution was so severe that it made him think he was going to die. But he says it was worth the lesson because I learned to truly depend on God. I cannot rely on myself because I don't have the strength to do so. I can't rely on myself because I don't have the ability to do so. I hate the quote, God won't give me more than I can handle. Because it is unbiblical. As a Christian, we should never say those words. And I'm not saying shame on you. But I'm saying what it is, is you're saying you don't need God if you say that. Because only God can carry you through a trial. Why? Because he is the God that raises the dead. Paul proclaims that God raises the dead because it reminds and encourages him of the power of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, and the comfort of God. He gives this because we can't raise ourselves from the dead, so why do we think we can comfort ourselves? Only God has the power to relieve me from my suffering. 
If God doesn't ever give us more than we can handle, then we will never need God. Yet the scriptures tell us that we need him just to breathe. Suffering teaches that we're not self-sufficient as believers. Because if you could do it without God, you wouldn't need God. If you're in a trial and you haven't gone to God, you're showing him that I don't need you. I got it. I'm drowning in my suffering, but I got it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So in this age of self-help, where relying on your own inner strength is key, we must only rely on God and run to God as our only refuge and strength. Because he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He delivered us. Paul is saying God delivered him physically from his trial. And in this trial, it reminded Paul that trusting God for his comfort and deliverance is more than just saying those words, but it's his mindset, one that can only come from the comfort and the strength of the Lord. Therefore, Paul has hope. And when I say hope here, we're not talking about today like, fingers crossed, I hope I get lucky, a dash of good luck, but biblical hope. The absolute confidence in God's promises for the future because of his faithfulness in the past. He delivered us. He delivers us. He will deliver us. Because the greatest deliverance to always remember in our salvation and our sanctification as that we were delivered from an eternity in hell. We must always remember the greatest deliverance in our suffering. Being delivered also doesn't mean that affliction will end in our lifetime because the affliction may not end until our death, which may sound really bleak and depressing, but that may be the Lord's plan for your life, for my life, for my mom's life. Because Jesus have already been delivered. We were delivered from hell. Remember that. Because suffering also serves as a reminder that earth is not our home. And Paul writes about prayer in verse 11. That it is so essential when it comes to suffering that God acts through prayer. He gives comfort to the hurting believer through the prayers of others. The word help here in the Greek is a really long and powerful word. It's sunupuregeo. I'm not going to ask you all to repeat that. But there are three thoughts. There are three Greek words within this Greek word. You have ergon, which means work or deed. You have soon, which is cooperation with others, a togetherness. And then you have hupo, which is supporting someone in a manner to sustain them. That is how help looks. It works together. It cooperates together. And it sustains together. And Paul is letting them that those prayers of theirs sustained him in his persecution. And in his persecution, he was praying for them in their suffering as well. Because we pray for others as we rely on others for prayer. This shows that we're a church family and that we're in it together because we are literally depending on one another. Knowing that brothers and sisters are praying for you will help press you forward. Because I know I always feel more confident when I know someone is in my back and that I have people in my corner. But Paul also says that we can have a spirit of gratitude in the midst of suffering. He's saying it's not easy It may feel impossible. We might not even want to, but it can be done. The paraclete will help you endure patiently. 
Because God always answers prayers. It may be deliverance from the actual affliction. The answer to prayer might be the comfort to endure the affliction. As I read early in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things God doesn't promise us an explanation, but he does promise that in the end, everything will be worth it. And so what do I do when I'm suffering? What is God's purpose for suffering in my life? There are a multitude of points, but I want you all to remember this. Suffering prepares you to comfort others. Our hurt will comfort someone else's hurt. It keeps us from depending on ourselves. We are reminded that we cannot do anything. Suffering teaches us to be thankful in everything. It serves as a reminder to be grateful for our greatest deliverance for the hope of glory. It teaches us to trust God. It draws us closer to God as he is the source of all comfort. But lastly, it conforms us to become more like Jesus. Beijing by myself. I brought my Bible and I re- literally remember reading it the whole time. I couldn't tell you what I read, but I was searching and seeking God out to help me understand why God let my mom die. I was seeking God out in my hurt, in my words, Psalm 34, the words of that. I sought the Lord and he answered and delivered me from all my fears. There was a Chinese couple sitting next to me on the plane ride back to Beijing. And they saw me reading my Bible. And they asked, are you reading the Bible? And I said, well, yes. And so they're like, so you're a Christian? I was like, yes. And they're like, up too. And then they shared with me, we flew to the United States to get baptized. And now we're going home to tell our family and friends about Jesus. God comforts me. I return from China, and I'm spent and exhausted and tired. And I get in the car, and Jennifer says, I love you, welcome home. By the way, I'm pregnant. And I remember the Lord gives, and he takes away. God comforts me. I can say with all honesty, as I reflect on my life, If God doesn't call my mom home, then I'm not doing the work of the ministry in the capacity I am today. As I reflect on the Lord calling my mom home without my mom's death, I don't fully plug into my small group. You can ask Jeremy Little. He can tell you. If my mom doesn't suffer and die, 
I don't ever serve as a volunteer in student ministry. I don't go to seminary. I never have Dave Edwards or Hat Stone in my life. I never have Sonia Stone in my life. I never have Eli Dragna in my life. But I love you too, Caleb. I never have Ina Graham or Jenna Deschamps in my life. I never have Brody Zapeta in my life. I never have Michelle Delon and her family in my life. I never have the Fortune Cookie Gang in my life, which is all of our alumni students. I never have the Matsons in my life. I never have MK Benton in my life. I never have Camp Beloved and Beyond in my life. I never have the plethora of names and students and volunteers and ministry leaders and church staff in my life. I don't have most of you here in my life today because my mom didn't pass away because I wouldn't be here testifying to the goodness of God in the midst of my suffering and her suffering and understanding that Romans 8.28 is true and that God is good. And so I leave these last words with you. I spoke to my father Wednesday night during life group. The spirit compelled me to call him to let him know, hey dad, I'm about to share about mom. And we cried together on the phone. And he shared with me something that I never knew because as my mom's illness progressed, she lost the ability to speak. My dad said, please share this with your church. You speak to them about mom. It's about the last clear conversation he had with her before she couldn't speak anymore. And he said that mom was telling me that this is unfair. My illness and my dying, it's unfair. And my dad responded, honey, it's not about being unfair. This illness, your suffering is all a result of sin, not your sin, but sin and a broken world. But please, sweetie, remember that God is still good. My mom responded, I still have God. What else do I have but God? I still have God. So as followers of Jesus, we can have hope and we can hold on to that hope. But maybe you don't feel hope right now. Maybe you need some comfort from your church family. Maybe you're back where I was on January 2nd, 2009. Well, we have some people that are gonna come up from your church family that want to pray for you, that want to comfort you, and I'm gonna invite them to come up right now. Because if you need comfort, if you need prayer, we have brothers and sisters that want to pray earnestly for you because they wanna help you remember hope. They want to give you a reminder of the hope to press on. And so I encourage you, if you need prayer, come forward and let us comfort one another. Let us remember the words that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So if you need someone to pray with you, I encourage you to come forward.
Church family, this is your time to respond. As Pastor Chang said, there'll be folks up here to pray. If you want to pray with somebody, you can. If you want to come and kneel at the altar and just pray by yourself or with your family, you're welcome to do that as well. But this is our time to respond. So would you stand together with us and you respond as the Lord leads in your heart. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Your name is healing. Your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. In the darkness over every enemy. In Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your this place. We want to close our time of corporate worship together, but we want you to know that our prayer warriors will continue to be up here at the end of the service. And after we dismiss, you're welcome to come and pray. Maybe there's something the Lord is still uh, working on in you, something that needs to get healed up and bound up by the healer, something that needs to get restored or set free. That's what these folks are here for. But let me close this in a word of prayer, and then you'll be dismissed. God, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for continuing to prove what you said you came to do so many years ago. Lord, that you are a healer, that you set the captive free, and that you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, we live into that grace 
And we are grateful for what you have done in this place today. And Lord, we know that you are not finished. And so Lord, we just invite your spirit to continue to do the work in our hearts, even as we go today. We love you in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be dismissed. Prayer warriors will be here if you need them. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire.